Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. I'm just having a look through the emails. We've got one here from Simon Alvey, who I know has been listening to the podcast for a while, I think. So nice to hear from you, Simon. He says, first, I want to say how much I've been enjoying Seriously. It brightens up my never thrilling commute from Barking to central London on a Wednesday morning. <laughs> and then he says he had some thoughts about our chat about the A word last week. Mm. And he sent us an article from Simon Hattonstone and his daughter. And they have written an article where Simon's written about his views on the show and then Maya has written her thoughts and it's really interesting so we'll link to it in our show notes he says it's a fantastic way of reporting on disability and realizing that parents cannot be a spokesperson for their disabled children while understanding that a parental perspective matters I come at this from the perspective of being a person with a number of physical disabilities myself so I thought that was really interesting yeah that's so interesting particularly given that one of the things we felt about the a word as a show was that it really focused very heavily on the parental reaction and the sort of wider family context and very little on Joe himself. The interesting thing about this article is that the daughter who has autism says very clearly that she felt it really resonated with her okay. in several ways. So I think it's definitely worth reading. Mm, okay. And he also says that he would recommend the stage adaption of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which I've seen. Have you seen? No, I haven't seen it. I would also recommend it. It was really interesting. Again, it does include a lot of family perspectives, but as people who've read the book will know, is very much from the perspective of the young man with autism. We've also had an email from Charlotte who kicks off by saying, I've been listening to Seriously since the very beginning and I love it. That's really nice because what is this now? Our 40th episode? Is it? I think it's the 40th episode. I I feel ancient and haggard. I know. (laughs) This podcast is efficiently middle-aged so it's good to know that someone's been there with us the whole time. Thank you, Charlotte. And she also says, it's very relaxing on the eardrums to hear English voices discussing popular culture. Well, I can't really take any credit for my accent. No. Cheers. We can't really talk any other way. Sorry, I'm not one of those people that can do (laughs) 
dialect or anything, <laughs> sorry. But the main subject of her email is our chat about the magicians. Mm. She says she didn't particularly love it. Narnia was never really her cup of tea, and obviously it has got quite a strong like Narnia element to Definitely. it. Um, she says, I think you did it something of a disservice by comparing it so closely to Harry Potter. The books have very different styles, audiences, and intentions, and I don't think it did either of them justice to stick them rigidly side by side. Mm. Well, I think she's hit on something there, because I felt quite uncomfortable about the amount my brain was going like, but Harry Potter is better. That was my experience the whole time I was reading it. And she's right, they are aimed at completely different things. But I just felt like I enjoyed Harry Potter so much more and it did feel so much better in my mind that that comparison, I just couldn't escape it in a way. I couldn't get over it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Also, I do think there's something in the fact that the book has been pretty solidly, that The Magicians, I mean, has been pretty solidly marketed as Harry Potter for grown-ups. So it is obviously trying to appeal to the same kind of reader and move them on to a different sort of world. Yeah, which didn't work for me. No, I think it worked better for me. Like, I definitely was more into the world than you were, I think. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, I wish I could almost remove Harry Potter from my brain just temporarily to have read it having never read Harry Potter and see what I thought about it. But I found it really difficult to do that. So yeah, Charlotte, I think you're probably right, but sorry, that's just the way my brain functions. I can't escape Harry Potter in any part of my life. Uh, Charlotte also recommends us Carry On by Rainbow Roll, which is another sort of Harry Potter-ish related book, which is actually something we've already talked about on the podcast. Our friend Elizabeth Minkle was on episode 22 to discuss Mm. it with us, if anyone wants to go back and find that. And I think both Simon and Charlotte recommended Hamilton to us. Yes, they have. Which I am really, really interested in listening to. We come to you on a day after Hamilton has just won a Pulitzer Prize, which is pretty cool. And I haven't even heard one single second of the Hamilton soundtrack. I feel like I will never get to go and see Hamilton because although I am planning a trip to New York soon, it seems completely sold out and hideously expensive. So seeing, you know, Hamilton, the stage play in New York on Broadway is probably off limits to me. But I could listen to the soundtrack and there is a script out now as well. So I will try my very hardest to get involved in Hamilton because I do think it looks really interesting. It's on Spotify. I've listened Mm. to the soundtrack a couple of times and I do like some of the songs. I haven't yet experienced the kind of mad rush for it that I know a lot of people have. And I think I would put that down to two things. One is, as you say, not getting to see it as a stage play. And two, not being so familiar with the story that it's working on. Mm. Yeah, I don't know anything about. Yeah, not being American and not having really studied American history very much. I'm sure there are jokes and references and subversive things they're doing that are just going completely over my head. <laughs> so sure that'll happen to so me. I think maybe what I need is, can someone send me Hamilton explainer for a British person? Yeah, we'd <laughs> like Hamilton help. for dummies. Yeah, please. we'd like the Hamilton companion. <laughs> so yeah, if anyone does know where that exists, the place to send it is seriouslypod at gmail.com. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Victoria. Victoria is the story of a single eventful night in central Berlin, told from the perspective of one young woman, the titular Victoria. Over the course of the evening, she meets a man and his three friends in a nightclub and quickly becomes caught up in petty crime that escalates at an alarming pace. Now, I controversially feel that you maybe shouldn't know very much about Victoria going in. I totally agree. I think if you are planning to see this film, turn this off now, because I think everyone should experience it in the way I did, which is knowing nothing about it. I knew literally, apart from you told me the title of the film and that we were doing it on the podcast this week, I knew nothing else about it. And that was a really great experience. So this is rarely for us. This is like an actual sort of enforceable spoiler warning. Yeah, please Um, do turn it off. Those who have seen it, welcome back. (laughs) Join us as we discuss it. We have to do something. Please, can can you help us? You can. Yeah? No problem. I'm the big driver. Yeah. 
So yeah, it builds very slowly, which is a part of the joy of it. You are just with Victoria on this night out and like a real night out, you don't know what direction it's going to go in or where she's going to end up. Yes, so the big gimmick of it, I suppose it's been discussed a lot, particularly when it was first screened at festivals last year, is that the whole thing was shot in a single take. Mm. It's a two and a bit hour take of the same thing. So it starts with her dancing in an underground nightclub in Berlin, strobe lights, really sort of bright, like techno music. And then it follows her in real time, basically. Over the course of the night. Which is one of the things that I loved about it so much. I do think it is worth talking about. I know it's the thing that everyone's been talking about, but the fact that they managed to shoot it in a take is absolutely insane to me. I assume, and I don't actually know because I haven't read that much about the production of this, that this all the sound must have been done in post because they're filming outside. But they did film. They, they made three takes and then they just picked the best one. They didn't like interlace the three shots oh, really? at all. They've literally just picked the best one, which is absolutely crazy. But it sort of jarred with me that that is the tagline of the film. Yes, me too. Because although I called it a gimmick and that's wrong, it's been treated as a gimmick. But in the context of the film, it it's doesn't not. feel gimmicky at all. Because it feels what so it, natural. It feels so natural. You forget it's happening. You're not aware of it. It's not a showy cinematography thing the whole time. And instead, what it gives you is exactly what you were saying. This sense that anything could happen, that every moment you are there with her as she makes every decision about what's going to happen and that you're being inexorably dragged towards one particular conclusion but you don't know what it is yet mm, and then the exactly. bit that really jolted me back into awareness that that is what happened is that basically the camera had been like right on her shoulder for two hours was right at the very end yeah when the camera then stays in a fixed position and she walks off and you feel this kind of grief or this bereavement it's like victoria come back we, we've been together for so long like exactly. how can you walk away from me i felt exactly the same and also that you're suddenly like wow i don't know who this person is yeah. because you spend the whole time with her and the way that the camera work does really intensify it as being from her perspective yeah and if everyone disappears then you stay with her and so you don't know what's going on you only have her view of what's going on and when she starts walking away from the camera you're a bit like hang on this person is actually a stranger for mm. all intents and purposes and it adds a whole nother layer of maybe she's not completely who she said she was or didn't say she was onto the film at the end so I think it's so clever the way that final shot it gives you a whole range of emotions because we only know the sort of facts she chooses to share with these guys that she meets mm -hmm. that, that she works in this cafe that she's from Spain that she's in Berlin for three months she kind of forms a closer attachment immediately with one of the guys Zona and they hang out in the cafe a bit and she plays the piano that's there and it's immediately obvious that she's amazing at the piano mm -hmm. and she explains that she's been like studying the piano since she was a child and she's been in the conservatoire in Madrid but something happened and basically she was told that she wasn't going to be good enough to carry on and you, you assume that that's why she's come to Berlin to kind of get away from it but she never says that mm. and then she, she gets very emotional she's playing and she just stops suddenly and you get the feeling that the piano has become this thing for her where she's kind of been repressing her desire to do music and then it bursts out and it's really uncomfortable and difficult yeah it's almost like something that if she does too much of it she's consumed by it's a bit mm. like watching a drug addict or someone suddenly be like no 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 I'm not gonna have that drink I'm not gonna have that drink yeah. she like starts she gets really really into the song and then she has to be like I'm gonna stop playing now but she's amazing so so we know that about her and then that's it really we know precious mm. little more as the film goes on the strength of her character becomes more and more obvious because she's just a random girl from a nightclub she seems really happy to chat to these guys fairly keen to take a risk in that she'll like go up on a roof or like maybe steal some bottles of beer from well, a news agent did, did you find the first half an hour or so of the film you were really stressed out about the fact that she was hanging out with these strange mm, guys absolutely and you were, I was like something bad is going to happen yeah, to I was her gonna, like, they were, they're going to assault her so you, I was really on edge and 
then after, I can't remember even at what point, but suddenly I just started to trust them. And I was like, no, actually, whatever else they might be, as far as she's concerned, they're good guys. And also, she is the strongest person amongst these people. And actually, she is the scariest person Mm. amongst these people. And that, for me, is why that final shot is so interesting, because you're a bit like, maybe she's not who she says she is. Maybe this is how she always wanted it to pan out. I don't know. But obviously, that would be crazy. That would be so crazy. And it's maybe a kind of paranoia that the film does to you more than any... I don't have like a conspiracy theory that that's really what the plot no, of the film is. No, I don't think she is. planned it all the time. No, right? no, but it is really interesting how you're so worried about her and you see her as so vulnerable and as those layers begin to peel off, you realise that those are silly assumptions to have about yeah. her just because she's a young woman. She's actually yeah. incredibly strong and just has these reserves of ability coming out of nowhere. What we should say is, so one of the guys in the group that she meets up with, Boxer, has been in prison before. While he was in prison, he was kind of under the protection of this sort of gangster guy who has now called in this favour and Boxer has to go and meet this guy and he's been told he has to take three other people with him but the fourth guy in the group is completely wasted and passed out and therefore no good so they they like Victoria will you come with us like we just need to be a group of four it's gonna be fine will you come and she's like yeah yeah I'll come so they go they pinch a car she drives it and then when they get there it turns out that what this gangster wants Boxer to do is rob a bank mm. and they have to do it right now mm. and suddenly what was just a kind of oh just a favour we'll take you straight back to where you work afterwards like it's all cool like I'll see you tomorrow all this kind of thing suddenly it's a heist movie yeah exactly and it comes out of nowhere so you get the first sort of half an hour maybe even 45 minutes of the film is really a, feels very art housey yeah people meeting in a European city at night and then it becomes this sort of heist movie as there is a, a turn in tone there's also a sort of moment where you feel like the whole plot of the movie could turn where they're in the car Victoria's in the passenger seat and Zona is saying we got to take her back to the cafe she can't do this we just met her we can't involve her in this ridiculous it's not fair and she says no I want to come I want to come I want to drive you I want to be your driver she's so insistent that's the first moment for me where you're like okay that this girl is made of more than yeah we think it was really interesting to see the heist entirely from the perspective of the people doing it mm. so the fact that the gangster like makes them take this cocaine before they go and do it to make them aggressive and one of the guys like freaks out and they have to stop on the way to the bank she's the one who calms him down in the end mm. so they can actually go and insist that they do it and insist that they do it and then when they get there because they've had to hotwire this car the car breaks and stops working while she's having to wait outside and she freaks out and doesn't know how and doesn't to know how to jumpstart it again but they get away and then the last 45 minutes of the film is well initially they go back to the same club and like party furiously for about so 10 dumb. minutes which is so dumb that's why they get caught and like two of them like take their clothes off and they're like jumping up and down and it's probably like 8am by this point mm. kind of euphoric but also that's the point at which I was like they're doomed they are actually doomed and then obviously the police catch up with them you know how sometimes in movies shootouts can look really like glamorous and exciting whereas actually what this both the filming style and also the way it's designed gives you is just how horrible and grim hiding behind some concrete in a children's play park is while the police are like put your weapons down or we'll shoot you yeah but it's also interesting how we're shielded from most of the violence that is happening at the hands of our protagonists Mm. so although we see them getting shooted against by the police and we feel awful for them and we see them do lots of terrible things including kidnap a baby and it's not that it's as simple as like we're completely on their side but we don't see them actually go into the bank we see them rehearse their heist and that's kind of horrifying enough because everything's from Victoria's perspective and she's the getaway driver and she has to stay in the car while the heist actually happens we never see any of the main violence that of course they're being chased for and I think that obviously alters our perspective on how we feel about although they're victims essentially they're victims of for example the prison system in that he's got involved in the with the wrong people 
in prison. They're victims of a much bigger crime conglomerate that is insisting that they do this, what is for them, fairly low-level crime and victims of poverty and so many other things. But we don't see them making victims of other people in a really horrible way. Yeah. So it does mean that your sympathies lie more strongly with them, I think. Yeah, completely uncomplicatedly, you you identify with them the whole time, Mm. even though you infer that they've done some bad stuff. It kind of ends in tragedy for all of the guys. And then you just get this astonishing moment where Victoria she, walks away she just her... walks away. Yeah, It's a triumph of a film. Absolutely. It's not often that I watch a film and I go, I would watch this again every year for 20 years. Mm. Like, I just can't see ever getting tired of this. Yeah, it was amazing. I think I can, I can imagine re-watching it would be a completely different experience mm. because, as we've said, being in the dark is so much of the experience of watching this film. I'm interested to know whether, if you re-watch it, knowing what you know about her character towards the end at the beginning, I'd... does some of her behaviour at the start seem more sort of loaded or what signals do we have or, yeah, yeah um, I'd be really interested to find out but yeah absolute triumph of a film can't recommend it highly enough Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now we're going to talk about Undercover, which is a BBC legal drama about a historic miscarriage of justice. It focuses on a high-profile defence lawyer, played by Sophie Akeonedo, and her husband, Adrian Lester, who has a secret he has hidden from their family for 20 years. Yeah, so again, this is another one where I'm like, just go and watch it, don't know anything about it, because it's really... I mean, the name Undercover gives you a hint of sort of the threads that are going to be in it, but... 
I think it's really important to go in not knowing, for example, who might be undercover or what the undercover of the title really refers to. Yes, I've only seen the first episode of this and I spent almost all of it thinking, do they mean undercover in the kind of covert police operation sense or do they mean undercover in a sort of slightly more allegorical Mm. justice undercover or or something? I don't know, I couldn't... But yeah, then, and again, look away now, definitely, if you're going to watch this. At the end of the first episode, there's a kind of reveal. It's like, oh no, they do mean undercover police operation yeah. basically uh, Maya the main character the defense lawyer her husband was an undercover police officer when they first met and although he left the force very soon after. very soon after he's never told her that that's who he really was and you see in the first episode that he's still got bits of life that she knows nothing about like his father for instance is very ill and very elderly he cares for him but he takes his wedding ring off before he goes to see him because mm. he has never like merged those two strands of his life 20 years ago, a man died in police custody. And we have been prevented from getting to the truth of how he died. 20 years of normal life makes for very deep cover. Get out of our lives. We just want you to share with us what she's thinking. Be strong. You're asking me to put this before my family. Do you want them to know who you really are? You've forgotten that I'm married to the woman I spy on. Is it true? It's absolutely crazy. There are so many things about this programme that were shocking to me watching it and depressingly a lot of the things I found the most shocking I then realised were also the things that <laughs> were the most realistic. So yeah, this whole strand of undercover policing which I have a, like a complete hatred. Like it, I, it really gets at me in a way that some things don't in that I just believe if you're an undercover police officer who sleeps with someone without t- revealing your identity to them you are raping them. Like yeah. there is no question about that in my mind. So this like whole thread of state condoned rape really like I find disgusting and terrible and horrifying. But there's also obviously the whole thread of police brutality because Maya is a lawyer investigating two cases that are sort of her her main cases that she's been following for over 20 years one of them is this guy Rudy who's on death row in Louisiana for a crime that she insists and he insists that he did not commit. We've also got the case of this guy called Michael who died in his cell in Hackney in 1996 and that's basically a textbook case of police brutality and he was also put in the cell with a neo-nazi who began the violence that was then continued by police and that's how he dies and so for 20 years she's been trying to get justice for him on his sort of behalf of his mother all these things are just so it's like one horrible thing after another another bit that really got me is when rudy is executed oh god yeah that was awful i've read enough about this to know that this happens that what they showed on the tv show is exactly representative of what goes on she's done every possible thing to try and get a stay of execution of some kind and it's finally happening and they take him off to have the lethal injection and it doesn't work it's like a torture scene as they're trying to drilling into him and all kinds of horrible things to try and finish him off and she finally she manages to get a judge on the phone who orders that they stop. stop. What's amazing is so then they take Rudy to the like prison sick bay or whatever, and a doctor she manages to get you know a medical team to come and help him. And the medical team are like, it's our job to keep this guy alive, and we can't do that here, so we have to take him away. Mm. And it's like 
for half an hour ago everyone was trying to kill him and now you're trying to keep him alive like it's this awful. this is this is beyond mental it's it's horrific and then there's an added layer of horror when you realize that yes these things do happen all the time and yes they do happen to the people that we're seeing on screen like mm. this disproportionately is something that affects black people oh, in there, america there was a really powerful shot actually as um maya's walking down the corridor to rudy's cell and obviously there's loads of cells along there and all the other prisoners just put their hands out through the bars and it was just black hands mm. all the way down you're like mm. yeah that of course it's awful and i think what's really interesting for me is that this is a british look at this stuff mm. because what i feel like we're always crying out for british people to examine racism in the uk in the same way that they do in the us because obviously our demographics are hugely different there are a lot more black people in the us not least because there are more people but because mm proportionally there are more black people and that doesn't mean that we don't have the same problems in the uk at all and it's just much more difficult to get data on it and to see examinations of it in pop culture mm. and i think that's one of the reasons why undercover is so important ben madawunmi actually wrote a piece very recently about undercover that makes this point really well partly about the crime and justice element but partly just about the representation on tv that undercover represents because god there are so many unusual things about it the fact that it has a majority black cast the fact that it focuses on a middle-class black family Mm, um that's true the fact that you know its main character is a professional black woman like Mm. all of these things are so rare bim starts her piece a woman and a man are in bed wrapped around each other we see an expanse of their backs all smooth and supple they entwine their hands and move together it's a tender moment and even though it's only for a few seconds of a longer scene we can tell it's supposed to be sexy this is classic tv intimacy the woman is black the man is black. They're both British. The programme, Undercover, is a primetime drama on BBC. All of this shouldn't be a big deal, but oh, it is. Yeah, exactly. I'm so pleased to see a character like Maya on television. It's so great to see a female character like her who is extremely professional, has so many achievements, and is ambitious, and that's portrayed as a good thing. And also it's like the moral heart of the mm. programme. Like we're with Maya the whole way through. And I think that's so rare for women on television, especially black women on television. It's so, so rare to have such a well-formed, likeable, ambitious, caring, ethical character like that. She's just brilliant. I love her. I love watching her. I want mm. to stay with her. I want to know what she thinks on everything. There's a great scene um, later on that you, that you won't have seen yet where she's basically having a job interview where she just gives the most impassioned speech and honestly, it made me made me want to cry. And it was just so perfectly done. And I want more characters like her on TV. Yeah, and their family context is so interesting as well. So she's married to Adrian Lester's character, who is a stay-at-home dad. Mm-hmm. His kind of undercover police background aside for a second. And like he does triathlons and he looks after their three late teenage, almost grown-up children. One of whom has got a behavioural disorder of some kind. Yeah, I think it's implied that he's got but it's not clear it's it's not particularly focused on but he's so great with him and as obviously that's years and years and years forming that relationship that means that his son feels okay to be in big groups of people and attend family birthday parties and all of this kind of stuff and there's a really great moment towards the end of the first episode I think when the family's gone on holiday to Cornwall and the kids are all messing around on the beach and Maya and her husband are sort of standing on the beach with their arms around each other and she says you know I could only do what I do because of you Mm. right that's so interesting to have that acknowledged for the gender 
two-year-olds to be that way round. I, I just 100% on agree. a really basic level to like see a black family having fun on a beach. When was the last time you saw that on television? And you're right in that class comes into this massively. So we get, for example, a family friend who's also black, who is a newspaper reporter mm. on a big right-wing tabloid and how she almost has to maybe water down her politics a little bit as a black woman. Mm. And there's a great line where someone says, do you not feel a bit like they're being really careful around you all the time? And she says, yes, I do feel that way, which is a great step towards them being around me. Yeah. Which is really, I mean, when you put it as bluntly as that, it's so horrific, obviously. But you're just like props to you for actually making those steps. And, you know, it is it is rare to see even now. I mean, she got her job in the 90s in this programme, but it is rare to see people really high up in journalism who are black. Yeah. And sometimes, you, yes, you might actually have to make compromises in order to get there as a black person, but you might not. If you were a white person, you just would never have to make those sacrifices. And that's obviously explored a lot through Maya's career in law as well. And Nick, her husband's career in the police, although she doesn't know about it. Like, There's another great line where they say, you rose to the top as an undercover policeman in a way because who's going to be the pimp oh maybe the black undercover guy yeah who's going to be the drug dealer oh maybe our black undercover guy do you know what i mean and it's a really interesting exploration of middle class professional black life yeah which i've never seen it on tv before i don't know and so so it's really thrilling to see it because you know what what is tv drama supposed to do if not expose you to new and different experiences to other kinds of people and that those two can be entertaining and enjoyable and thrilling and disturbing and all of the other things England's not the mythical land of Madame George and Rosie. It's the home of police who kill black boys and mopeds. And I love my boys. So last week I recommended Anna the game Monument Valley, which is a puzzle game that came out a couple of years ago. Anna, what did you make of it? I love this game. I'm so addicted. I wish I'd started playing it earlier in the week because I only started playing it yesterday and already I feel like, oh, I'm going to carry on playing this regardless. So I would probably have done a lot more levels if I'd started (laughs) it earlier. But yeah, I really, really like it. It's a game that really sort of relies on spatial awareness in lots of ways. So you get almost like a little building or a little landscape made out of sort of it'll be like a few ladders and some walls uh, and it'll just be hanging in the air and you have to as this little princess character called Ida who's wearing like a little white dress and a white hat you have to explore that landscape and stand on certain platforms and things like that but you can move them around you can move the entire scene around and if you change the perspective at which you're looking at it walls can become floors or ladders can lead you to a different place and so you have to think about where you want to get to and move the scene around accordingly or move other things in the scene around accordingly and then you can figure out the way through which for me I'm not great at spatial awareness so for example I always on the cooker I always turn the wrong one on so you know you have the picture of your hob and it says like it's got like a the top left one will be red to indicate that the knob is for that one and I'll just turn completely the wrong one and then I'll be like why isn't my food cooking and then the other (laughs) hob will be hot because I like my brain just isn't very good at matching those pictures up to the real things Mm. I never did particularly well on those tests where you'd get given a net and you'd have to indicate which net made which shape I was never good at that stuff but I really really enjoy this game and I don't know why it makes it so fun 
I mean, obviously, it's got beautiful music. It's aesthetically absolutely gorgeous. Well, I know when the developers were making it, they wanted every possible still of the game to look like it could be a work of art. Mm, and it does. And it does. It's absolutely stunning. The colours, there's something a bit kind of MC Escher about the, the style of it, you know, stairs that turn into other stairs that go nowhere and that kind of thing. Yeah, and like some sometimes it's a bit like that graph paper you get in maths at school, how you can either look at it as being two-dimensional and going sideways and upwards, mm. or you can see it as three-dimensional. And depending on how you see it, a level that should be separated by a staircase can actually become all one level. Yeah. And that's like really interesting. But I would have thought would be a lot more confusing and a lot more difficult to do. But actually, I've never got so stuck that I felt like, okay, I have to quit. I can't do this. You just like have to keep thinking and try it another way. It's so satisfying. It's mm. like seeing everything click into place and you complete a level as you get through the door that you need to get through. It's so deeply satisfying, both aesthetically and like as a challenge that you've completed that you just want to keep going. Well, it was interesting. So when the game first came out, it was fantastically popular. But it did attract some criticism, I think, from what you might call more hardcore gamers. So it's a mobile game, so it's obviously designed to be approachable to people who don't play a lot of games. I found it very accessible as someone who never plays games. Yeah, exactly. So it's clearly meant to do that, and I think it succeeds at that. But it got some, some sort of like hardcore gamers were like, oh, it's really easy and it's really short because, you know, I find it so easy to do this game that it only takes me half an hour to complete the whole thing. Which, I mean... (laughs) I'm definitely no one Which is definitely not... But also, like, my friend Alex Hearn is massively into this game. Mm -hmm. And he's a gamer. And he's a massive gamer. His point is, like, the point of a game is not necessarily to get to the end. Mm. The point is to enjoy yourself while you're playing the game. Yeah. And he really enjoyed playing it, you know? And I felt the same about it. I've played it several times through after I completed it, just oh, because great. it's a really nice place to be. How many levels does it have? I can't remember. I'm quite, on like... Quite, quite a lot. Okay, good. I'm on like level eight, and I don't want mm. it to be over anytime soon. Okay, great. Also, I think it has a... If I remember rightly, the final level is really complicated and really long. Can't wait for that. I also... I like that there's this weird sort of implication that there's a narrative going on that I just like... Mm. I'm nowhere, nowhere near ready to get the narrative yet, but like Ida, who is a princess, like will occasionally run into this like weird blue holographic figure who will be like, the people who understood our geometry have left, or now will we have a shapes in the air... Have you forgotten too, princess? How could you? And you'll be like, ooh, what's going on? I don't know, but it's Mm. fun. (laughs) And I like how she takes her little hat off at the end of each level. (laughs) It's really cute. So yeah, I just love it and I'm going to keep playing it and I would recommend that everyone play it. So what are you going to recommend me for next week? For next week, I thought about recommending you a film that after I watched it, I was like, I think this is one of my new favourite films ever of all time. And that film is Zodiac, which is a David Fincher film from 2007. You may have heard on the internet lately, this is the most recent way I can think of getting into this, is Ted Cruz is the Zodiac Killer. Is this the Zodiac Killer thing? Because I have not been understanding this at all. So will I finally know what that means <laughs> yeah, you after will. I watch this film? That's <laughs> exactly. really exciting. The Zodiac Killer is like a real thing. Okay. So it, this is a film based on a true story. Based on a true story. Yeah, right. and okay. I think uh, the extent to which it is based on is like very questionable. Mm. But yeah, so basically there was a serial killer who called himself the Zodiac and he was active in the San Francisco Bay area in the late 60s and early 70s. So it get, there's a real feel to this film. When we watched Spotlight... Yeah. Although it was set in the 90s, I think I said that I found it very 70s. And I found it in a lot of ways aesthetically similar to Zodiac, which is mostly about journalists rather than police trying to get to the bottom of the Zodiac killer. And we have Jake Gyllenhaal 
as the lead. Okay. And I really, I love this film. I think it's so good. I think it's, I really like David Fincher films, but I just think it's a great example of just like a really brilliantly plotted film. And so I think you'll really enjoy okay, it. Okay, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and they should be listening to it too. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.